Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, it's good to see everybody here this morning. Welcome to Trinity Community Church. So many smiling faces. You know, summer's almost over. How many of you love the cool, crisp air of the fall? How many of you are pumpkin spice people? You can admit it. I know. It's kind of regular. You can admit it. That's fine. Um, Before we get rolling, let me just give you one other thought, too. When we engage God like we did this morning, we sing about who he is in his heart. Sometimes we, we forget that the promises that we sing about are for us. They're not just for David. They're not just for Moses. They're not just for Mary, but they're for you. They're for me. The God that we serve is a God that loves you personally. Do you know that? That means this. That means that you can come to him with all the things that you have. I want to encourage you. Don't allow moments like this to slip past you. If you're here today and you're struggling, you've got, you know, maybe you're you're filled with anxiety, you've got grief, or, or you're struggling financially, whatever it is, you're struggling in body. Don't be afraid to go to God and present yourself to him and say, Lord, I need your help. Don't try to do this all by yourself. He's here today and he loves you. And it's quite possible sometimes God will tap on somebody's shoulder up here just to speak to you. Would God do that? Yeah. You know you're important to him. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And sometimes he'll gently try to call to us, but some of you are a little thick-headed. Amen. There you go. So sometimes God has got to make it a little bit more pronounced for you. So listen to him. So do me a favor. Just shut your eyes for a second. We're just going to pause. Allow the Holy Spirit to just envelop you in this moment. And whatever you brought in here, if there's sickness in your body, just ask him. Say, Holy Spirit, would you heal me? Maybe your your heart is, is broken. Say, God, will you touch me? Maybe you're here and you feel like you've lost your way. It doesn't matter where you've been. Just say, Lord, will you, will you help me to find my way back to you? Whatever that is, just ask him. Sometimes we forget that the Holy Spirit doesn't just guide you. He lives inside of you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead beats in your chest. Receive that. Amen. So do me a favor. If God touches you, uh, let me know. One of the privileges that I get as being a leader of an organization, a church like this, is for certain occasions we get like cool things like gift cards to certain restaurants. I don't know if you've ever heard this or not, but you know, I I like food. (laughs) I know it's hard to tell from this vantage point, but I like food. And uh, we got here and somebody gave us a, uh, a gift card to a Greek restaurant. Is there anything better than a Greek restaurant? No, there isn't. It's great. We were excited, so Rob and I went out to this Greek restaurant, and it wasn't just a normal Greek restaurant. It was like a Greek fusion restaurant. Now, you know what fusion is? Fusion is when, like, the thing they think, they want to give it its own, like, little zip. They want to give it its own little take. So this is a Greek fusion restaurant. As if pasticcio is not good enough on its own. It is, by the way. Moussaka, lamb. We don't need fusion. We just need the good Greek stuff. So we show up at this place, 
And Robin and I are sitting there, and, and my wife loves pasticcio. It's like a Greek lasagna. She loves it. So we go to this place, and she orders the pasticcio, but it's not just pasticcio. It's like pasticcio fusionized. And they called it like, like, like pasticcio like nitro or something weird. And my wife goes, well, what is this? She goes, it's like pasticcio. The lady goes, it's like pasticcio, but it's just better. Now, to me, you know, my wife, she is a white toast, no butter girl. So she likes what she likes. And if you decide, most of the stuff that I've tried to in 30 years to make better, doesn't make anything better, just makes you not want to eat it. So I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is going to be a long evening. So we order our stuff and we just want the staple stuff. I want grape leaves. I want to see what the salad is like. We got saganaki, which is a flaming cheese. Have you ever had flaming Greek cheese? Are you serious? If you ever go to a Greek place and they have flaming Greek cheese, get it. It's crazy. They flame it at the table. They yell, opa, and they put it out with lemon. How many of you have ever had that before? It's absolutely crazy. It's great. So they had that, except they had their fusion take on it. So they bring us all this stuff, and it wasn't very good. My wife, I watched her push fusion noodles all over her plate for like a half an hour. I ate all my stuff because that's just what we do. We just eat stuff. So I was holding on to the desserts. I can do, endure anything if I know that there's dessert at the end of the tunnel. You know what I mean? I'm a coffee dessert person. Anybody in here like that? So I look at the dessert menu and I'm excited because they've got stuff on there I'm not used to seeing in Greek restaurants. They've got baklava. Who doesn't have baklava? You can buy baklava at the Costco. Hello? But they have a thing in there called galakaboliko, which is a Greek custard that my dad used to love. And I thought, oh, there's galakaboliko on there. I haven't had that in years. So go to the waitress. I said, ma'am, I would like a decaf coffee because it was late and I don't want to stay up at night. And I'd like a bowl of galakaboliko. She goes, no problem. Robin, she gets the baklava because that's safe. Baklava safe. So the lady goes away. She comes back. She goes, I got bad news. She goes, we're out of baklava. Of course you are. She goes, but I have another thing that I'll give you. You'll love this. And she's talking to my wife about this. She's not going to love anything you got. She, she's, she liked the bread. That's all she's liked so far tonight. She goes, I'll just order for you to be great. You're going to love it. So she goes away. Robin goes, I'm going to hate this. I'm thinking, I'll just have two desserts. It's no big deal. <laughs> the Lord provides in mysterious ways sometimes. Right? So the lady comes back. I'm not making this up. She goes, good news. I found baklava. And Robin goes, that's great. She goes, so I canceled the galakabolico, and I'm giving you the baklava and what I told you you should eat. She goes, bye-bye. And she walks away. They go, Wait. She canceled my desserts, and Robin got two of what she wanted. So I was upset. You know, so the lady comes back and says, ma'am, I'm supposed to get the garlic of She goes, no, no. She goes, this is better. You'll love it. She just walks away, and I'm like, how do you know what better is to me? How dare you play with my dessert? Kick me in the head. Don't take my dessert. So she comes back, and she puts this thing in front of me, and I go, huh. And I take a bite out of spite. Have you ever eaten out of spite? It's a hunger strike, but not really, because it's dessert. <laughs> and I take a bite, and I'm like, this is pretty good. I take another bite, and they go, this is really good. By the 12th bite, I made this determination. And it's hard for me to admit this. She was right. That was better than the galakabolico that I was going to eat. It was better. But I'll tell you what, I would go to my grave before I told her she was right. Isn't it funny sometimes when it comes to your faith? God knows what's best for you. 
We think we know what's best, but we don't know what's best. So God will replace those things with what we really need. And what do we do? We kick and scream all the way till we get there until we finally discover God was right all along. Our faith is always built on discovering the new things that he has for us. You know, we are in the process of sanctification. That's a big theological word. You know what it means to be sanctified? To become like Jesus. And you know when you'll stop that process of sanctification? When you die. That means that you're constantly growing. You're constantly moving. That means that the pages of your life are constantly turning. On the Thursday, we dropped off Toby John Harris to uh, the University of Valley Forge. We were up there. Uh, ben was up there. The Turks were up there dropping the kids off. So we showed up there, and I think, you know, he's the baby. There's something about dropping off your baby Amen. to college. Now, you'd think we were dropping him off to Uzbekistan. He's literally 45 minutes up the road, which means if he goes south or he runs out of underwear, he can just come straight back down here, put him in the wash, and we'll take care of stuff, right? Mother, mama would love nothing more on earth than to take care of him like that. So we're going up there, we're driving up there, and I think, you know, we had in our minds, my wife especially, what this day was going to be like. We're going to get to Valley Forge, and Robin and Toby would be holding hand in hand, and they'd be swinging hands as they walked through the campus. So we show up and we come to the first station and there's a little cute little lady there, a little girl. And she goes, hi, what's your name? And Toby, he's like, hi, I'm Toby John Harris. She goes, really, what's your major? He tells her his major. And at that point I watched Toby go, he goes, and I thought, he's gone. He doesn't want mama anymore. Now we're in a whole new arena here. So as we walk from station to station, person to person, I noticed something. At first we were all walking together as one big happy family. But as we got more into the campus, there was a greater separation between Toby and the rest of the family. I don't know if, did you notice that with Ben and all? Did you notice that? So in fact, it got to such a point where we got into his room and we're doing stuff and all of a sudden Toby just disappeared. So we had to go get some stuff and, and I, I, I called Toby. I said, Toby, we're, we're trying to, you know, we got to get you, we're coming back. We got to go to lunch. We're going to go to lunch together. So I already had lunch. I said, what do you mean you already had lunch? Well, you just weren't here. I just already had lunch. I said, well, we'll come down here. I said, you can just, you don't have to eat. You just walk us to it. No, it's probably not a good idea for me to walk with you to any place. And I'm like, what, what are you? So literally he doesn't show up. I looked at my office and said, you know what he said? He ditched us. He already ditched us. You know, we left him. He's leaving goodbye. You know, I was expecting this big hug, like, you know, something from Titanic. You're on the bow of the ship. And we're like, we'll see you later. He's like, eh, just walks away. But isn't that how it's supposed to be? We grow. We become that next person that God has for us. You're a new creation in Christ. And what we do is we slowly take on the image of our Father. We are image bearers. We carry who He is. And what's crazy is this. For some things it's very easy, but for other things it's really tough because He's just not like us. So this entire month we've been talking about how God is beyond anything that we are. We've been talking about what his image is and who we are. And for us, the process of becoming like God. Sometimes those things are very easy, but sometimes there's other parts of who he is that are very tough for us to get a hold of. For example, the Bible says that God is love. And we think we know what love is. We understand human love, but we don't understand love that is divine. 
We don't fully comprehend unconditional love. We struggle to love people that aren't like us. We struggle to love people that don't like us. And there's other things, too, that we don't fully understand because they're, they're out of our nature. We don't fully understand grace. I think one of the toughest concepts for us as believers to understand is mercy. What is mercy? What does it look like? Mercy is one of those words that we, we sing about. We know that it's an attribute of God, but we aren't 100% sure what it is. Now, the Bible's loaded with verses that talk about God's mercy. For example, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says this. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. You look at a passage like this and you're like, I, I don't understand what that means. It means this, while you were dead, all alone, by yourself, with no hope, God's mercy was extended to you and his mercy gave you life. <clears throat> That's incredible mercy. That's what the Bible talks about. Or how about this? You know, the Bible says this in Luke 6.36, be merciful even as your father is merciful. Well, what is that? Or Psalm 145, 9, the Lord is good to all. Everybody say all. all. Now that word, when you translate that into the Greek, is panta. You know what that means? All. all. Congratulations, you know Greek. <laughs> the Lord is good to all. He has mercy over all that he has made. What does it mean that God has mercy over everything? What is mercy? Well, when you start to break mercy down, that Greek word for mercy there is called ilios. It actually means, it means pity or compassion, mercy. Now, what's interesting is this. That Greek word, elios, was actually taken from the Hebrew concept of mercy, which is hesed. Now, this is the weird thing about languages. All languages are not built the same. Hebrew is built different than English. For example, in English, you have a word, and we have these things called adjectives that describe the word that you're talking about. Hebrew is not built like that. Hebrew has distinct words that express distinct things for their people. Now, this word has said, this Hebrew word for mercy, we don't have an English word that encompasses everything that's found in this word. So we do the best that we can. That's why we've got all these different Bible translations. People take their best guess at what this English word would mean for this Hebrew. That's why all the translations are different. To understand this this. Hebrew concept of mercy, you've got to understand four things that are related to this, this, this word mercy. First is this, hesed, which is benevolence or compassion toward another person, has to be done in the framework of a relationship. You don't have mercy if you don't have a relationship. Why would you need mercy if you have no relational connection with somebody else? So mercy, hesed, is built out of relationship. It starts with giving something to somebody that you already know. You have to have something going on with them, a common experience, in order to extend or receive mercy. Does that make sense? The second thing that mercy does is this. Once you experience this said, it creates in you this desire to, uh, to give that mercy back. You experience it, you give it back to the person. The third 
Not only does it require you to just, you know, not only is said, you know, mercy that you experience in a relationship, not only is that, you know, you give it to somebody, they give it back to you, but once you have experienced it, you're required by God to extend mercy to everybody that you meet. It goes beyond that one little relationship. It goes into the posture of who you are. Mercy. That's why you have verses like Luke 6.36 that says, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. God has extended mercy to you. You extend mercy to others. Does that make sense? And finally, it's obvious that you can't just isolate his said to an individual. You cannot have a faith-filled community a community that is considered God's apart from mercy. You can't have a church that operates without mercy. If you have a church that operates without mercy, it's not a church. Any gathering, the ecclesia of the saints, any gathering in God's name has to have at its core mercy. Or else it's contrary to the heart of God. You see this, even as Paul talks, and we looked at Ephesians 2, 4, quickly before then, it's, it's part of the bedrock of what we believe. So when you talk about mercy, according to what Paul has said, like in Ephesians, Paul's not talking about, he's not just describing sympathy or pity or compassion. He's describing someone who takes on an obligation. Mercy is given to us because we understand this. Apart from God's mercy, we have nothing. There's not enough in you to meet the requirements of a holy God. Do you, you know that? There's nothing in you that's enough. The greatest, most righteous person we have on the planet, aside from Jesus Christ, is not enough. So God has to extend mercy to us. He has to, to give us the gift of mercy. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were far away, God extended his mercy to us. So as we receive his mercy, mercy is given to us so that we can express it and give it to others. Now, sometimes we confuse mercy and grace, the two concepts together. What is mercy? What is grace? What's grace? Well, grace is this. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. Paul, can you bring me down just a hair, brother? I'm going to get a little loud here probably. Thank you. Have you ever gotten something you didn't deserve? You know, you get, you get something that you know, would be free, something that's nice. Have you ever gone to McDonald's and they put two things of fries in your bag? And you're the only one that knows about it. So when you get home, how many, how many things of fries do you have? One doesn't make it home. Let's just be real. Has anybody in this room ever gone takeout from McDonald's and not opened a bag in the car? Really, TJ? You've not eaten anything from the bag? We have to talk. That is prime French fry stealing opportunity. All of us have received grace. I remember... Um, Years ago, I was in a church in Plant City, Florida. It was the first church they kind of sent us out to intern. Uh, Plant City, Florida was the strawberry winter capital of the universe. It's incredible. So, you know, to do what I do, a lot of people don't know how we do what we do. You know, you go to school to do what I do. They teach you how to break down the word. They teach you how to speak. They teach you how to lead people. They teach you all that they can to prepare you for ministry. And after they prepare you and they give you all that stuff, none of it is enough. But at least you got to start somewhere, right? So, you know, I'm there at Plant City First, Assembly of God, and I'm interning. And my pastor, who was the wisest, smartest man I ever met, 
Pastor Richardson, wise and smart, 32 years old, no wiser pastor I ever met. He said, TJ, you're going to be preaching Sunday night. I said, great. So I preached that Sunday night. I was amazing. I was. Humble and amazing. Do you know why it was so good? I had one talk. I worked on that talk for four years. If you work on anything for four years, it better be good or find a new profession. My talk was so good, Pastor Randy came up and he says, that was so good. He goes, you're preaching next Sunday night. I looked at him, I said, preaching on what? He goes, I don't know, talk to God about it. And I was like, oh God, what, what do you want me to talk about, Lord? So I got all my notes, got everything together, found something to talk about, and I got up there. Let me, let me tell you something. There's bad. And then there's what I did on that Sunday night. It was so bad as I was teaching, I'm talking to myself going, this is bad. Have you ever done that? I'm looking at it thinking, I have no idea what this guy's talking about, and the guy is me. It was so bad, Sister Walk, who sat on the front row, she was like 107 years old, she was praying for me, and she was praying, help him, Lord, help him, Lord, help him, Lord. And I'm like, even Sister Walk is interceding for me. It's so bad. It's like, help him, help him, Lord, help him. It was so bad, I didn't even know how to land a plane. I didn't even know how to stop. So I just finally was like, bye. And I just walked off the stage. And at that moment, I realized that ministry was not for me. I picked a bad profession, and I'm about to pick something else. And I'll never forget this. Pat Richardson came, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he looked at me. He goes, that was really bad. <laughs> I said, thank you for your encouragement, Pastor. I appreciate that. He says, but you'll get better. He says, by the way, he goes, you're speaking next Sunday night. And I was like, Pastor, if you want to crush your church, keep putting me up there. I said, do you, did you see it? You won't have anybody left here if you keep letting me do this. He says, I believe in you, and you'll be better. You know what that is? Grace grace. It's grace. God always extends us grace. Grace is the space that God gives you to grow into who he wants you to be. We live in this tension of who we are and who God has called us to be. What fills in the gaps until you get there? Grace. By the way, you never get there until you take your last breath here and your first breath in heaven. So you need grace. We need grace. That's what that is. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting something you do deserve. That's when God holds back his hand of judgment. Have you ever needed mercy? Have you ever deserved something and for whatever reason, you didn't get what you deserved? I remember uh, about a month ago, a month and a half ago, I was driving with Toby John Harris. We were going golfing. And uh, we were in the van and... Uh, I knew that the tags weren't up. The tags were going to get done like the next week. So I thought to myself, we'll just, I know the tags are out of date a little bit, but we'll just scoot out there and scoot back. Nothing bad's going to happen. <laughs> Do you ever have those thoughts? Those are usually a, pre- a precursor that you know, bad things are going to happen. So we're driving along, and the, word, the sound you don't want to hear, I heard behind me. Woo! <laughs> I met a new friend that day, <laughs> Officer Smith. And he came up, and I'm in the van. I'm usually not driving the van. And he said, license and registration. I knew where the license was at. Couldn't find that registration to save my life. Van's got about 38 comp- you know, compartments in there in case, I don't know, there's a nuclear war and you've got to hide pretzels in a compartment like behind a door. <laughs> and the guy's up there and I'm looking at all the stuff. He goes, well, I'm going to go back to the car. You just keep looking for what you need to look at. 
Toby is sitting next to me. Toby, the last time he was pulled over in a car by the police, he was with his mother and they were heading towards school and she was speeding. And he was there. He was scarred for life because all of his friends were driving by watching him pulled over with his mother by the police. So he's in the, he's in this, like, next to me, like losing his mind. Dad, what's going to happen? Are they going to take us away? Dad, what's going to happen? I'm like, will you just shut up and start to pray? I don't need your negativity right now. You just pray. So he's praying. He's praying. So I finally, I find the registration in like compartment W and the guy comes back and I give him everything and I'm just bracing for impact because I am dead to rights. The guy looks at the stuff, comes back as well. He goes, uh, you know, you got to get this taken care of. He says, you just, you know, I'm going to let you off on a little bit of a warning. And Toby's having a spiritual experience. He's like, hallelujah. He's on the side. It's great. I said, thank you, sir. And, and he gave me my stuff. He goes, you just, you'll take your time. I said, okay, okay, we will. And the best part of it all, we got to the golf course and I kicked Toby's butt. So it was like cherry on top of the Sunday. That's mercy. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. How many of you have ever experienced mercy? Right? It's just what we do. We experience mercy. You and I get to experience the mercy from God because of your relationship with him. Once you give your heart to Christ, it engages the mechanism of God's heart and his mercy. Know this. God always dispenses his judgment through the lens of mercy. Always. Sometimes I think we, we forget this. When you stand before God, when God looks at you, you don't stand before him. If you've given your heart to Christ, you don't stand before him in your own righteousness. You are not enough. When you give your heart to Christ, when you stand before God, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your righteousness. He sees the righteousness, the blood of his son. And that's enough to cover your sins. And he goes, he's good. What is that? Mercy. That's mercy. As a believer, God engages us through his mercy. So what does that practically look like for us? What do we do with his mercy? Well, two things about mercy that we need to understand as believers. First is this. God's mercy for us is an invitation. Now, what do we mean that it's an invitation? It means this. As people, every person on the earth has had an invitation to receive God. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He loves everybody, and everybody has the invitation to receive his mercy. As believers, you've said yes to that invitation from God. He invites us to be with him. Now, i got to be honest with you, this still messes with me. I don't understand this. I don't understand the human God equation. Think about this. God knows everything about you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. He has seen the chapters in your life that you pray to God that nobody ever sees. He knows your secret thoughts. He knows the inclinations of your heart. And this is nuts. And he still reached out to meet you with his mercy. Even when you were his enemy, he loved you. And he wants to be with you with all of his heart. That's his mercy. I don't understand that. Again, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says it this way again. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. As believers, we're just an odd group of people. 
We enter the kingdom through the door that is grace. And it's funny, once we get in the house, once we get in God's house, sometimes we hang up grace on the coat rack and we say, okay, now it's time to get to work. And then we just go right into works. We understand you can't enter the house with, with, with your works, but once we get in here, we start to build our faith on our own righteousness and our accomplishments as if, if it wasn't good before, why would it be good now? Now, don't get me wrong. We grow in Christ. You start to reflect who he is, but you can't work yourself into heaven. Living for God is a byproduct of what God's doing inside of you. What happens on the inside leaks out to the outside. Does that make sense? So as believers, we, um, we come to God, we say yes to the invitation, we come to God in our brokenness, we repent, we say, Lord, forgive us for our sins, and then something incredible happens. God's mercy is activated with our repentance and our brokenness. It's his mercy that doesn't just cover us, but his mercy also draws us. When you need him the most... His compassion kicks in. When you're at your lowest, his compassion is at his highest. When you are at your most destitute, his mercy is off the charts. You would think it would be the other way, but it's not. Sometimes we think we got to clean ourselves up before we even go into God's presence. And beloved, nothing is, is more further from the truth. God doesn't want you to clean yourself up. He just wants you to come. He gives you the invitation, the invitation to come. The further you are away, the more joy he experiences when he sees you come home. That's when mercy is at its strongest. Hebrews 4.16 says this, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we'll receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. How many of you have ever needed a lot of mercy and grace? Did you have all of your poop in a group when you needed that? <laughs> Probably not. What does God say? Come to me. Come to me. The more destitute you are, the more compassion he has. He says, come to me. Now, this is crazy because it's so different than what we normally do. When we struggle, what is our gut reaction as humans when we struggle? To hide, to isolate, and to run away, right? Right? That's what we want to do. It's in our DNA. What did Adam and Eve do? When Adam and Eve had their little thing in the garden, what did they do? They hid. And what did God do? Adam. Adam. As if he didn't know where they were. You ever play hide and seek with like a, like a one-year-old? You know, that's hiding behind a pillow. A two-year-old, where are you? They won't see me. Isn't that what we do? We hide. Because we don't think we're enough. It's in those lowest moments that God invites us to experience his love and his mercy and his grace on a scale that we just don't even, we can't even comprehend. That's his heart for us. Why would he do that? Because that's what perfect love does. We could take a page from what God does for us and extend that to others. If we could figure that out, and love people at their lowest, you would rock the world. We'd change the world. We would. But we isolate and we pull away. We see glimpses of it, but it's hard for us to put into practice and to understand what this concept really is. I, um, I'm always amazed that, you know, 
We have three children. The reason we have three children is because we didn't want four. <laughs> three was enough. <clears throat> We're done. Um, I'm amazed that each kid, you know, grew up in the same environment, but they're all different. Have you ever noticed that about your kids? Everything's different. Their personalities are different. The good ones are from me. <laughs> we won't talk about the bad ones, who they are or where they came from. But we'll just say that. I remember um, one of the greatest joys and accomplishments of a young parent is when your child moves from diapers to the potty. Yes. It's like putting a man on the moon, right? <laughs> I remember walking through the process with Toby when he was getting potty trained. I would come back from work, and uh, we had this little, this little potty dance and stuff that we would do. So I'd come home from work about 3.30, 4 o'clock, and I'd open the door, and he'd be there to meet me. And I'd look at him, he'd look at me, and I'd say, was it a good potty day? And he'd go, good potty day! And we'd dance around, and we'd tickle and have all kind of good stuff. Everybody was happy. I remember one, uh, one evening I came back, and I opened the door, and I peeked my head in, and Toby was nowhere to be found. I thought, that's kind of weird. And I called down the hall, Toby, Toby. And I remember seeing these two little, you know, my kids all had these massive heads. I saw this big head with two little eyes stick out from the door. I said, Toby, I said, was it a good party day? And I watched his eyes fall. He came out and I'm looking at him. I said, Toby, what's wrong? Was it a, was it a good party day? And I'll never forget this. He's looked in the ground, started kicking his feet around. He started mumbling to himself. <laughs> As if to, you know, I don't know what happened. I, I had that spicy asparagus, and I, I don't know what happened. It just hit me wrong, blah, 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 blah. I looked at him. I said, Toby, he said, come here, come here. And I hugged him, and I remember he started crying. He had his head on my chest. I said, son, it's okay. I said, it's okay. So tomorrow's going to be another day. Tomorrow you'll have a good potty day. It's okay. Today was just a bad potty day. And after a while, I wiped his tears, and we went and we played again. All of us have bad potty days. We do. If you're having a bad party day, run to your father. That's mercy. Mercy is his, it's his invitation to us. He says, come to me. At your lowest, come to me. Sometimes we think everything we do is final. And it's not. It's all part of the process. Failure is part of your process. Don't get stuck in your lowest moments. And don't you dare define others by their lowest moments. That's mercy. That's grace. So for us, mercy starts with an invitation. Titus 3.5 puts it this way. He saved us, not because of the righteous things that we've done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. All through his mercy. So his mercy for us is an invitation. The second thing for us, his mercy is also an obligation. What does that mean? It means that mercy is something that God gives you that you just don't keep to yourself. It's something that he expects you to pass along. Part of living for God makes you understand this. If you want to live up to his standard, at his standard is mercy. His standard is more than just trying to be as squeaky clean as you possibly can. Most of the things that God requires of you has to do with how you deal and interact with others. Have you noticed that? We've turned our faith into this personal thing where it's just me and God and me trying to stay squeaky clean as possible. You know, when they ask Jesus, hey, God, what's the most important commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, and by the way, 
Love your neighbors yourself. Oh, there's another word there. What's that other word? Equally as important. Did I get that right, Jerry? How you treat other people is a big deal to God. It's part of the standard of living. Mercy. He wants you to pass along the mercy that you've experienced. In fact, you ready for this? And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't understand this. I'm just going to tell you what the word says. How much you embrace God's mercy, how you live out his mercy, that scale of mercy that you live by is used to measure you as well. Matthew 5, 7 says this, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. So for the believer, extending mercy is not an option. It's not optional. It's not like, do you want heated seats? Do you want, you want leather? Do you want cloth? It's not like that at all. It's not optional. Mercy for the believer is a requirement. As believers, we are people of compassion. Because Jesus was a man of compassion. We have to be careful, beloved, that we don't just become mechanical in our faith. We have to be careful that we, just, we don't boil our faith down to, well, you did this, so you deserve that. We deserve death, hell, and separation from God. Your faith is not built on what you deserve. Your faith is built on God's mercy. Capiche? That's an, Ita- an Italian word for, you got it? Is that Italian? Yes. Is it? Thank you. <laughs> I know manja is also Italian, but that's another thing. Don't let your faith or how you view others be built just on what you view as success. How their lives unfold or how they they navigate life. If your faith becomes mechanical, then it starts to lose any room for God's mercy. You can't live like that. Sometimes when we come to faith, it's funny. I know that we don't do this, but other bad churches do this. We don't do this. Sometimes we come into God's house and we pretend like our lives are perfect. Have you ever been like fighting with your family in the car? And by the time you get in the parking lot, you're like, listen, you kids, you rotten children. You all better smile and you better worship. And don't you dare tell anybody that your father's a jerk. <laughs> I, I, I heard this one time. I don't know where I heard it from. They said, you know, you think there's no secrets, you know, when you go to kids' church, when they ask for prayer requests. You know, there's no secrets in your family. <laughs> Any prayer goes, yes, my mother said my father's a jerk. We should pray for him because we don't like jerks. Sometimes what we do is we come into God's house and we project perfection. And we do the body a great disservice. Because if you have to be perfect, if you think you have to be perfect, you'll never share your heart with God. And then sometimes what we do is this. We'll take that perception of perfection and we'll start to whitewash our stories. Do you know that your story is a powerful thing? Not just your BC story before Christ, but how you live out your story now with God is a powerful thing. Don't whitewash your challenge. Be real. Paul said this, I celebrate my weakness and I boast in my God. Don't boast in your accomplishments. Be okay with your weaknesses. Say you blew it. I screwed up. When you do that, you become relatable. That's why one of the most powerful things that we can do as churches is to be able to share our stories. Do you know that your story is a powerful thing? The Bible says this in Revelation. The enemy, Satan, is taken down finally by two things. 
the blood of Christ and the word of the testimony of the saints. Amen. The blood of Jesus and your story. Isn't that nuts? So um, we have a good brother that's been coming to the church and I felt like after hearing his story, one of the benefits that I get as being a pastor, I get to hear about all the good stories. And then trying to get them to you is the tough part. So this morning, we got Brother Kenny's going to join us. Kenny Bartholomew, come on up, Kenny. Make Kenny feel welcome. <laughs> Kenny has an amazing story of God's faithfulness and mercy. And I think it's something that all of us will, uh, will glean some things from. Come on up here, brother. Good morning, church. Yeah, there you go. So, Kenny, how long have you been coming to Trinity? Since November, approximately. November. Before the holidays. Before the holidays. So you got in right before Christmas and all the craziness starts in, right? Correct. Okay. So, Kenny, give everybody a little window into your world sure. before you met Christ. And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe they've known you before that. I don't know. Give everybody a little window to who you are. To start, I like to say that I'm the example of mercy, okay? Because it's hard to understand mercy and grace. It, honestly, with the verbiage, it's just it's challenging. So keep that in mind when I tell this story. I grew up normal, just like everybody else. Uh, we didn't know rich, we didn't know poor, we just grew up normal, right? Uh, my parents, I never was abused or anything like that. Everything was good. I, I, I did 12 years though. Four years or eight years at Holy Angels and four years at St. Mark's. <laughs> <laughs> I never went to prison. I never killed anybody. <laughs> um, well, I started my life, really, when I uh, was in school, at high school, and I found out MBNA was hiring, and I wanted to go get a job, because I knew I wanted to go into banking. So I was one of the 100. Uh, it was past ShopRite time. But anyway, I'm there, and the only time I would have, have a chance to talk to executives, because I was smart enough to know I want to go be what, do well in this career path. I would have to go to the smoking court, because that's where the managers took breaks, and it was kind of an, a neutral zone to talk. So I would tell my story, and eventually I started going to cocktail hours, and I started getting invited places, and then on and on and on. I got into the restaurant business also. I became an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. The end. I never did drugs, though. Cocaine or any of that mess, no. Um, well, one day, that alcoholism really took effect on me. And I would just... Real, real quick, before you go, tell them, give them an idea of what you would do you know, yep. every day, what, what, you're, what that looked like for you every day, the alcohol and stuff you drink. Absolutely. I, uh, my routine daily was get up quarter to four, quarter to five, start working, work from home. And 2.30, approximately three o'clock, I would be done for the day. I would drive home and I would go directly to the bar restaurant. In this case, I would go to Valley Cachina Lock because it's right up from my home. Sit at the bar, have cocktails or eight beers, eight shots every day. I'm going to say that closer. Eight beers, eight <laughs> shots every day. So what, what, to give them an idea. What did that cost you just every month? I save about $2,000 a month um, from not being an alcoholic. I would just do that at that one place. Um, then I went to Total Wine when the COVID hit, and they would bring out the liquor to your, to your car. All right. <laughs> so I would make the first order. I'd drive down there. And I was going to earn points with the total wine, and you get so many points, you get entered in a contest to win a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle, a very expensive bottle of whiskey. I earned 40,000 points in eight months. It's dollar for dollar. I did not get that Pappy Van Winkle. <laughs> COVID hits, 
hard and all of a sudden I get sick one night from going out to the bar like I normally did. <clears throat> and uh, I got really sick, violently ill when I got home. My wife was like, what's going on? I said, I'm just sick, maybe food poisoning, and it kept going on. Anyway, I was like, okay, call the ambulance. My wife says, I'm definitely calling. I'm calling my, your sister-in-law, find out what's going on. She's a nurse. Ended up going into hospital, pancreatitis, acute pancreatitis. It's not fun. If you know anybody that's on that, make sure they quit drinking. Your pancreas is about this big. What that does is it digests your food, gets everything moving through your body. Mine grew across my chest and then pushed out onto my ribs. It's pretty bad. I didn't realize how bad it was. I was all drugged up and I was just doing my normal uh, hospital person's day. They told my family, don't go near him for a couple days. He's got acute pancreatitis, we gotta do some work and he's gonna be rude, ignorant, he's gonna say things he probably will regret because alcoholism, you have the DTs, you'll detox. Something happened where I did not detox. I just stayed straight. I was semi-normal. I could have conversations. I wasn't angry. I wasn't sweating, blah, blah, blah. I had multiple dreams, and I was just hoping all I want to do is get out of this hospital. Now, I grew up just like most of us, where my mother would just say, hey, put some mud on your elbow, even then I broke it. It's like hanging off. She would say, <laughs> just get back out there. Or go have a ham sandwich and go to the bathroom, and you'll be fine. <laughs> and, and it worked, actually, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had broken legs. I didn't even know. I played in a blue gold all-star game. I had a broken knee. Anyway, in football. So where was I going with that? Oh, so I was there for four different stays, two different operations. I'm seeing all kinds of things, but then my final stay was in um, September. So it started in May. Sick. Operation. Sick again. Meanwhile, I haven't drank a drop. I haven't had a cigarette or anything during this whole time period, which is about six months or five months. Get to the last time, and I'm just, this is it. I'm worn out. I'm tired of this. I knew the doctor might have missed some parts in my stomach that they need to cut out or fix. So I had a team of doctors. There's seven doctors. Because one, they couldn't figure out what this freak is doing by not going through detox. Why does he can drink that much alcohol all the time and then, and then still survive? I had a dream that night. I don't know if it's a dream, I don't know if the drugs, I can't explain it, but here's what happened. Pardon me if I pause. It was, picture blackness, close your eyes please, if everybody would, please close your eyes. Now, think of the most annoying loud screaming sound you can think of, and it doesn't stop. Then in front of you is everything you did negative or bad, everything, nothing good but your life is flashing by you. Just the bad stuff. When you wake up, you're gonna be different. Now again, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't do anything wrong. But when I woke up, it was just overwhelmingly amazing. I called the nurse in and they said, you were screaming, you were sweating and everything, and all of a sudden you just went calm. And it's because God was with me. Because he saved me. Since May of 2021, I have not had a drink or a cigarette, and I have no desire to. That's amazing. Praise God. Thank you. Praise God. And I feel that the grace is, I was telling Pastor, I used to say, please help me. Give me a new job or give me some money or, you know, my kid's failing, I need help. And, 
you know, that didn't happen. Um, but you understand my point. I would say, now, God, thank you. Thank you. That's it. I don't ask him for anything. I already got my second chance. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do everything I can to make it right. So tell me now, now your life with God. Yeah. How, how did he change your life? What did he do? Yeah. Um, well, again, I said I was in Catholic school and Catholic education for so long. I came here because of the Applebee's. Dave and Jenna, they're friends of ours. And I said, Dave, I, what's TC about? Because I didn't tell him why, but I wanted to go say thank you. But I wanted to say it in some different way, though, than to go to a traditional Catholic church. Came in here, and Pastor TJ was doing a sermon, and it just hit me. It was everything. It was about your inner devil. It was about your feeling. And let's put your hand on your hip if you're hurting your hip. Everything he was saying was registering. And I sit in, I sit in row Q. My wife's up there now. That's the back part. And there's no reason other than I really want to focus. And I did. And Pastor just, this church has saved me. I'm, I'm a saved man. And I, I'm different. I used to be, you know, the tough guy. Everybody wants to, um, I try to impress. Now I'm trying to set an example. Oh, wow. Instead of being the example at, the, at Valley's, hey, there's that guy again. I just saw him last week. That's embarrassing when you really think about it. If you see the same person in a restaurant that you're going to, sitting at the bar, every time you walk in, that means that he's there all the time. It's a bad, bad impression. Now, my impression is, everything's okay. God's got you. You don't need these extra vices. You don't need to impress anybody. You don't need to go and do X, Y, Z. Take care of your family. Love God. And don't go looking in that dark space. It's scary as hell. It's scary as hell. So if you could give them one thing, just a deposit to them, what would you tell them? It's not about just not giving up. It's about moving forward. Hmm. Remember the past. I, don't, I thank God for giving me that tough road to learn, like we all have. We all have stories. There was a tough road ahead. But today, I can look my kids in the face or anybody out here and say, I did that. And it wasn't cool. It wasn't fun. But you don't have to do it again. Hmm. Don't, get the, don't lose an opportunity to go learn. And, but pass it on. Amen. That's what God gave me, the ability to live <clears throat> and then pass it on to folks like y'all. I love you all. Thank you, my man. That was beautiful. Thank you, Chief. Thank you. Mercy. You received it, and then we pass it along. It's an obligation. Mercy changes people's lives. It does. Um, I can't think of a greater expression of God's mercy uh, than him dying for us, coming to us, even though he didn't have to, but he did. Mercy requires us to step out of our comfort zones and to be present with those that are suffering, to be present with those that are broken. So I think it'd be very fitting for us today to end our time today with communion. I'm going to ask Pastor Trish to join me. And as, as she does, I wanted to put two thoughts in your head. First, you may be stuck in a dark place. If you're stuck in a dark place today, I want to encourage you. Run to God, not away from him. There you'll find mercy. And second, ask God, say, Lord, 
Am I a proper representation of your mercy and your grace? Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.